You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, you may have noticed that one of the hottest sellers of the holiday season was a cup made from a brand that used to market only to outdoorsmen and blue-collar workers. So how did the Stanley Cup reinvent itself and become a business success story for the modern age? 40 years ago, scientists did something that was thought to be impossible. But there wasn't a parade to celebrate until I tell you about it, you probably didn't even know. They killed the unkillable. You might have heard a rumor at some point in your life that if you found a certain image on the wrapper of your Tootsie Pop, that meant that you would get a free one. But was there ever any truth to that? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So Dave, uh, as we've talked about on this uh, show before, I do work in education. And one of the things that I noticed whenever I got back from winter break, and it was just hard to miss, uh, it's that girls, particularly across almost every one of my classes, started coming into the classroom with Stanley cups, like the big cups with the big straws. They're like in matte colors. And it was hold like four liters of water. Yeah. And it was like shocking how much i mean it was like you'd look around and there'd be like the series like 10 stanley cups like on the desks just across the room and i started asking around because it was just undeniable at some point like there was no way it was a coincidence and people were saying well like yeah this is like the big holiday gift this year is the stanley cup i know when i think about the stanley cup i think about the big thermos like the big green one that you would screw the lid off and the lid was the cup uh, like you're going camping with your grandpa, right? And he has it, or you want to drink? In it. Yeah. You want to drink like two pots of coffee at work at your factory job or something? You know? Like yeah, yeah. Like and the coffee, the coffee is Folgers. May I add? Oh yeah, or Max else. or <laughs> Maxwell House. It's nothing else. <laughs> uh, so I know you are a big beverage guy. Are you toting around multiple beverages at work? Like, what's your beverage count? Yeah, I drink a lot. Uh, I drink basically all day. So I, I, I'm, I probably take twenty. 25 bathroom trips um, each day because there's this liquid <laughs> constantly going through my body. But the Stanley, it, it is fascinating. Much like the Crocs that preceded it, sometimes things just take off that make absolutely no sense. Well, I got bad news for you about the Crocs. They're still extremely popular, especially among know, the youth. I know. So Dave, for us to get to the bottom of the Stanley Cup trend and for us to get our heads around it, it's pretty important to go way back because even though one of Stanley's products was the craze of the 2023 holiday shopping season, the company itself is actually 111 years old and hasn't always appealed to the market that it appeals to now. The story to me is an example of what happens when a brand does a pivot and a reinvention appealing to an entirely different group of people, which just doesn't happen often. And I think opens up a really interesting conversation about a brand and what it means and how to reshape the brand. So as I mentioned, the company Stanley has actually been around for over a century and older generations would recognize the brand by what we just talked about, the iconic green tumbler where you screw the lid off and the lid is the cup. The brand, at least under the banner of that particular product, was meant to appeal to the working class, to outdoorsmen, and to people working long days needing to keep their coffee hot. 
men were the primary target of the marketing during the 20th century, especially blue-collar working men. Now, it's also important to note, Dave, that the water bottle getting popular trend is not new. There are some cycles here to take note of where certain brands of water bottle became extremely popular over the last 10 years, namely Nalgene, Hydro Flask, and Corksicle. The difference now and what is propelling Stanley to these heights boils down to social media, specifically TikTok. Now, Dave, you and I aren't on TikTok, but one thing to understand about it is that a lot of people are, and trends there catch on across the entire site. One specific trend that has never gone away is discussing daily water consumption, branded as water talk. So Dave, on water talk, as the kids say, (laughs) people, particularly social media influencers, are frequently discussing hitting their daily water intake, which has led to the rise in like powder products to sweeten the flavor of the water. But the vessel you're drinking the water from, particularly the aesthetic of it, matters just as much, if not more. Consumers in a social media world can be very forgiving of a product if it doesn't really do its job, but it has the right look. In fact, Dave, the money here is no joke. In 2019, Stanley did a reported $73 million in sales. In 2023, they did $750 million in sales. If you search for Stanley on TikTok, you will find over 700 million hits. And at a price range of $40 to $50 per cup, business is booming. But the story of how specifically this brand filled this need boils down to the business sense of three women, Lindley Hutchinson, Ashley Lasseur, and Taylor Cannon, the founders of The Buy Guide, an online shopping blog and Instagram account that began in 2017. The blog early on loved the Stanley Cup product and encouraged followers to buy it. And since it wasn't popular at the time, was even probably towards the end of its life as an advertised product, Stanley eventually noticed and called the blog with an offer. Purchase 10,000 of these cups wholesale, resell them, and see what happens. Four days later, the buy guide had sold them all, and Stanley flew them out for a meeting. We can show them what it would look like if women could market to women, Lasseur told Retail Dive. Stanley had been a company only producing occasional use items. They were making items for people's camping trips or tailgating. We told them that this cup was a daily use item. It was an everyday, all-day item, and that it needed to look good in people's homes and kitchens with their outfits and not just great outdoors. The Buy Guide's demographic was 97.7% women and 100% between the ages of 25 and 45, a demographic that is often overlooked, but also extremely powerful at marketing within itself. Like, just think of Avon or LuLaRoe, for example. Women marketing to women is an engine of the economy, and as the brand shifted to market towards this demographic, the colors of the cups expanded, the collections expanded online, and Stanley saw a 275% increase in sales last year. The power of the Instagram influencer is at work here and maybe on some level has been underestimated by other brands. Stanley, a 111-year-old drinkware company, capitalized on it and the rest is history. Stanley can pretend to be cool and we can all pretend that they're cool. But I'm telling you, when I think of Stanley, I'm riding with my grandpa. I'm six years old. We're heading out maybe to take his boat out on the lake. He's got a full thermos of Folgers coffee in his Stanley. I taste it. (laughs) I hate it. 
And you know, you know, it's funny about Folgers. I, so I looked up some some Folgers stuff, and you know, there's a site called I think it's Quora, Q U O R A. Yeah. People ask questions and then answer questions. On them. And there's a question on there: Why does Folgers coffee taste like the bottom of an ashtray? <laughs> well, they, it, there's a second part to it. Why does it taste like the bottom of an ashtray? Where do they get their beans for it to taste so bad? <laughs> Nobody answers it. And so so the, the top response is from someone that says, this is a great question, and I see that no one has answered you. So apparently it's a mystery well, maybe where the Folgers topic. Like, was terrible <laughs> beans come from. We may explore that, or it may just be that, that these people didn't take any time to look into it, just like me. But um, I'll tell you what, the Stanley was created to hold Folgers. Jay, I feel like we are just kind of dramatic as people. Not necessarily you and I. I mean, me more than you. But but just the, the human race, we're kind of dramatic. Like, we say big things that exaggerate our feelings, right? Like, we say, this is the greatest day of my life. It's probably not the greatest day of your life. It might be a pretty good day, but it's not the best day of your life. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Uh, I mean, it might be funny. Not the funniest thing you've ever heard. And sometimes we say, oh, that's so nasty. I'm going to be sick. You're probably not actually going to be sick. But the question today is, has that actually ever happened? Have you ever said, man, that's gross, I'm going to be sick, and then actually gotten sick? Not really, not that I can remember. I have children, they're young, you go through things when you have children, they poop, they throw up, they just like, all of that stuff comes at you at once. And it so it just yeah. it gets to a point where just like nothing bothers you anymore. Our our youngest son was sick about a month ago and ended up in our bed and threw up in our bed at like two in the morning all over us. Like and, and it's just and it smelled so bad. You're like and we just went back to sleep. And I mean, essentially, I mean, we cleaned it, but like it just didn't even phase. It was like this is the most disgusting thing ever. Okay, let's fix it and go to bed. Yeah, that totally makes sense, and, and I agree. And and before I had the stomach of a billy goat, which having kids will will do to you, or you can just kind of handle anything. I actually did. So something was so gross that I actually did throw up. So a friend of mine, uh, his family, they had some rental properties, and a few of them were specifically for college students. And you and I both know we used to be college students. College students are kind of gross, you know, yeah, a, little, a little dirty. Being, it's being kind. Yeah. Well, well anyway, some kids <laughs> had, had recently moved out of one of their properties, and they were going to pay me to help clean it with them. So they offered me, I thought it was going to be like 50 bucks. And they're like, yeah, we'll give you $250 to come help clean this thing for a couple hours. I mean, I'm in high school. That's an incredible amount of money. They kept warning me like, hey, yeah, that sounds like a lot of money. That's probably not enough. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a horrible situation. Uh, so I show up, and yeah, Jay, it, it was not worth it. I stayed about uh, maybe three minutes. There was a mattress like on the ground. They were just sleeping on the floor. We pulled the mattress up. Cockroaches everywhere. Disgusting. <laughs> Even thinking about it now, so nasty. I go outside. I actually throw up. It's so gross, and I, I don't go back. And I ended our friendship over that. I'm just kidding. I didn't <laughs> but it was it was so nasty. And Jay, that's that's the thing is cockroaches are are kind of gross right oh yeah for sure and can't they like survive nuclear winter like are they like the only animals yeah, yeah. to survive a nuclear blast or something yes S- strap in my friend we're about to, <laughs> to hear about how hard it is to kill the cockroach 40 years ago jay scientists did something that was thought to be impossible but there wasn't a parade to celebrate until i tell you about it here in just a couple of minutes you've probably never heard this story i'm gonna guess jay 40 years ago we killed the unkillable and we virtually eliminated the cockroach. In the early 1980s, cockroaches were everywhere. 
With more than 2 billion living in New York City alone, according to the New York Times, decades of an evolving attempt at eradicating them through various pesticides just really didn't work. Glue traps, sprays, Jay, we tried it all, and it all failed. Even leading to the cockroach earning its reputation, like you just said, as the bug that could never be wiped out could survive a nuclear war. From the halls of the White House to homes, and not even dirty ones across America, cockroaches lived and multiplied. It felt like a problem without a solution, until the combat cockroach trap was introduced. While it now sits in the pesticide aisle at your local store, some would argue it should be sitting in a hall of fame or in a museum. And Jay, this trap was the brainchild of a team of heroes led by Dr. Austin Frischman. Frischman, hired by a company named American Cyanamid in the mid-1980s, saw the potential in repurposing a poison originally created to handle fire ants on cockroaches. Jay, instead of a spray now, this new technique was a little black disc that tasted kind of like an oatmeal cookie. And while only 25% of cockroaches would be drawn to it to eat it, 100% of the cockroaches in that building would die. The bugs would spread it to each other in very cockroachish ways. Poop, <laughs> throw up, and cannibalism. Isn't that uh, the perfect definition of a cockroach? God was like, how can I make the most disgusting being on the planet? Just, just throw it all in. Like, Let's have them eat the poop same time, and throw stir up. it all up. And each other! <laughs> <laughs> and so Jay Frischman was among the first to take this breakthrough product, put it in a syringe, take it out of the lab, and start using it in restaurants and diners to see if it worked. Frischman told The Atlantic, quote, I went into a small diner, a little luncheonette place, and a bunch of guys were sitting and eating sandwiches. I was behind the counter, so I was down low, and I had the bait, and I saw the roaches in a crack, and I just put a little dab in there. And as I went to go do it, the roaches started coming out, and they were gobbling it up. I was the first person in the world to see this thing work in the real world. I was shaking. I still have that syringe, the original one. And Jade, the combat era, as we'll call it, worked. An early 2000s New York Times article reported the number of cockroach-related complaints in federal buildings between the late 1980s and the early 1990s, a.k.a. the combat era, fell by 93%. Newspaper articles, like one from a 1991 edition of the New York Times, reflected this as well. It said in part, There was a time when people were horrified at roaches running rampant, and now everybody keeps saying, Where'd they go? And Jay, while we are too young, being born in the late 1980s, to appreciate this change, it really was a massive moment in U.S. history. Like almost overnight, the nuisance that is the cockroach had basically been eliminated. But aside from asking why we didn't celebrate the creation of combat more, the next obvious question is, will these insanely hard-to-kill bugs develop an immunity to combat too, like the other things? Well, according to reporting by The Atlantic, there's good and bad news there. The good news, the poison still kills them. The bad news, they've gotten smarter. They've stopped preferring sweet foods like oatmeal cookies. And I'm sad to say numbers from the American Housing Survey do suggest that cockroach numbers are slightly, just slightly creeping up. In 2011, 13.1 million estimated households had signs of cockroaches in the last 12 months. In 2021, that number had gone up about a million. So, Jay, will we ever have a time when cockroaches are kind of commonplace in every house like they were before the distribution of the miracle poison combat? Maybe. 
But my friend at least takes solace in the fact that it'll probably be more of a problem for our kids or their kids than it will be for us. <laughs> that's, the, that's the spirit. Yeah. Hey, let's build the statue. I mean, we build statues for people doing all kinds of stuff. Knight him. Do we knight people? <laughs> I mean, England does. We don't. We could. <laughs> if you're knighted, what does that mean? Nothing. They, I mean, people just have to call title. you sir. Yeah, people call you sir. I don't know if it like gives you a special swipe card to get into places or something. After the, after the ceremony, you're like, so this was cool. Like the sword touching my head, that was cool. But, but like, what does this mean? And like, what? Well, means people have to call you sir. So, Dave, to close us out, we're going to talk about a famous rumor around the Tootsie Pop, which I feel like almost everyone has heard at some point, especially if you grew up through like the, especially like the 90s and like maybe like the early 2000s. And the rumor is, is that there is a certain image on the Tootsie Pop wrapper that if you see it and you bring the wrapper back to the store that you bought it in, that you get a free Tootsie Pop. That does feel like one of those things that somehow everyone knows about. And we've actually talked about Tootsie Roll Pops on Commute before. Uh, we did a segment, uh, oh gosh, probably back a year and a half ago, about how many licks it actually takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop. The University of Purdue, if you remember, did some some research on that. It takes about 365 licks. Yeah, I believe you mentioned that the researchers who did that created a licking machine to do it now i'm wondering where the licking machine is like what are they doing with it now it's it's, it's still licking it's, it's seeing what it can do <laughs> like what possible use could it have at this point it's like they can't turn it off like there's no tootsie pop it's just going ee, 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 ee. <laughs> is the licking machine a tongue that's also part of the question. it's gotta be like if it's not it's it's you gotta redo it well, Dave, Tootsie Pops have been around for a while, actually since 1931, so almost 100 years. And as with products that stick around for a long time, sometimes rumors spring up around them. I first remembered hearing this rumor as a kid, and as you ask people of a certain age about it, they tend to remember hearing it at some point, too. So the rumor specifically goes like this. Of all the images on the wrapper, if there was a Native American chief shooting a bow and arrow at a shooting star, you could turn that wrapper into the location you bought it from, and you would either get a free Tootsie Pop or a bag of Tootsie Pops, depending on the version of the rumor that you heard. Now, first of all, we should establish the fact that Tootsie Pop as a company never made this promise. And honestly, they have no idea where it even started. <laughs> in fact, Dave, an official statement on the Tootsie Pop website points out that the shooting star appears on one in every four to six wrappers, That's just as frequently pops. as all the others, even if it didn't seem that way as a kid. So tracking down how this spread is really interesting to me. And I think it harkens back to an age without the internet where kids today can easily verify or disprove something. Before that internet age, youth couldn't do that as easily. And rumors just sort of lived in that space. Snopes even published an article in 1998 debunking the myth it had become so widespread. And Tootsie Pop has even received steady letters over nearly 100 years from kids attempting to redeem the rappers. And while they used to send a special letter of regret back, now they trust you can do your own research, I guess. 
And if you're wondering where it came from, well, unfortunately, there really isn't an answer to that question. It's just the perfect example of how rumors take on life. They just sort of do this. They start small and then they grow by word of mouth in this unchecked way. But what I think is interesting about it is that it did it without the internet, right? Like it spread word of mouth around our country to seemingly everywhere with no social media, no text messaging, just people telling people. Wouldn't you love trying to see someone redeem it? Like you're at Walmart, like a, a big store, and there's a, there's a kid, <laughs> they just walk up to a random cashier here and hand them the wrapper. I, I saw rumblings while I was researching this. I saw rumblings online that there was one store in America that honored it. That like if you brought it in, they would do it. But the more I dug and dug and dug, there was no evidence that there was actually a store. Like I looked to try to find like, tell me the store. What is the name of the store? And no one knew. It was just like, I think there's a store that does it. So I'm like, you got a rumor in a rumor now. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trump. We'll see you next week. Here, check your, uh, check your phone. It sends you something. <laughs> It's the tongue, man. It's disgusting. It's the liquor. It's, the liquor. <laughs> it's so gross. It's like, it's, it's like a, uh, it's like a yellow, like <laughs> wax tongue. It's like the tongue of a I, monster. But it's also a thing of beauty at the same time. If you think about it, there's a video of it licking. And uh, I know I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Like I don't think I could watch it do that for very long. <laughs>